morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Greetings to you from the Apostle Peter, who reminds you why it's amazing to be a believer in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy toward all who are hopeless has caused us believers in Christ to be born again, the spiritual birth. Remember, we're born physically alive but spiritually dead. And when we believe in Christ, we are born again, the spiritual birth. He causes us to be born again into a living hope. And hope in Greek is the absolute confidence that we have as believers in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 4 allowing you to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's eternally secure, reserved for you in heaven. 1 Peter 1, 5, you who are protected from destruction by the power of God the Father through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Those of you who are believers in Christ are saved, but... The real meaning of your salvation has not been revealed yet. It'll be revealed at the last time, and it will blow your mind in a way that nothing has ever blown your mind. Now, we study the Bible to let God inculcate us with the spiritual wealth that comes to believers in Christ who hear the Word of God and who regard it as a foundational part of their lives. Do you? Do you consider the Word of God to be a foundational part of your life? Do you understand what it does for you to spend this two hours, to invest this two hours a week? Do you understand the impact that it has on your life? Because I do. And what it does is it puts a compass on your life. It puts a direction on your life. And it helps you to see things that are going on in this world with spiritual eyes instead of seeing them with the panic that everybody else is going through, without the anger that everybody else is going through as they see the person that they're worshiping doing what he always does, which is promising you everything and delivering slavery. That's what we're seeing in the world right this minute. And so valuing the Word of God is your, 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 it anesthetizes you against the things that we're experiencing in the world. Welcome to the lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the Lord, deity, God the Son, became flesh as Jesus Christ, humiliating himself in the process, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one. He is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission, including all of the things that are going on in the world right now. He is the Jewish Messiah. And the Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through shedding his blood. So all the time that you feel 
you spend feeling bad for your sins and regretting and confessing and doing all those other conniptions that phony Christians and unbelievers like doing is a complete waste of your time because the only recognized payment for sin is what Jesus Christ did at the cross by shedding his blood. Blood covers sin. And as a result of his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven for our sins. Sin is not an issue in your life. You need to stop doing it, but you can't, you don't, and it's paid for. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. Being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Religion is the enemy of Christianity. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. And since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him. That's the best way to get to know him. We come together to get to learn about him through the study of his mind, the word of God. Now, God has an enemy, Satan. This is the thing that everybody forgets. Sixty percent of Christians have been convinced by Satan that he does not exist. (laughs) And he is the ruler of this world. He was assigned to rulership of this world by the Lord. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. The word of God is the truth, and it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the whole world. Every time you hear that, you ought to get a little bit excited. Because we always begin with that here at Barah Ministries. The first thing I want you to know when you come to Barah Ministries is who is Jesus Christ? With no BS. And there's a Bible verse that backs up every single thing that is said in there. And if I, if I took the time to do it, that'd be an hour. So we don't have time to do that. The second thing I want you to hear is the Word of God. I want you to hear verse by verse exactly what God is talking about. We're on 1 Corinthians. And then the third thing I want you to hear in a Barah Ministries lesson is how to get to heaven. And first and foremost, for you believers in Christ, so you can tell somebody about it, instead of sitting there on your butts with, you know, like mutes, I don't know what to say. Okay, well then just take the last three pages and hand it out if you don't know what to say. Just give somebody something to read and writing so they don't have to listen to you. They don't want to listen to you anyway. Amen? Amen? Amen. (laughs) All right. Today, (laughs) you don't want to listen to me. Why would they want to listen to you? True? Today's Bible lesson. The Lord has zero patience with idolatry. The Lord has zero patience with idolatry. As a pastor, I don't like the idea of painting God as a punishing God, mainly because he isn't. And as a matter of fact, I detest the idea of portraying him that way, and I detest hearing anyone else paint him that way. 
my 50-year religious and legalistic background as a Roman Catholic and as a systematic theologist taught me to think of him that way, as somebody who's just waiting to come down on us and who's got his foot above our head, waiting to stomp us and waiting to punish us and waiting to count up all our sins so when we die, he can spit it back in our face. And that's a lie. That is not how God is at all. Study of the Word of God has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt by a preponderance of the evidence that God is not a punishing God at all. He loves us, and best of all, he loves us unconditionally. That is, with no conditions. There has never been a time in your life when you have disappointed God, ever. And you hear people saying, that I just think I'm so disappointing to God. Shut up. You aren't. He loves you unconditionally. Stop. And that's a love, that unconditional love, is a love that does not come naturally to any of us. When we are wronged, we are not thinking about how fast we can forgive. When we are wronged, we are not thinking about being gracious. When we are wronged, what we're thinking about is vengeance. Get back at them. Figure out a way to hurt them back. Now, just because God is loving and forgiving and gracious doesn't mean that he is a doormat. There are some things of which he is absolutely intolerant, especially with believers in Christ. And idolatry is one of those things. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 say this, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, these idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Ruh-roh. Yeah, you can affect, how you act can affect the next four generations. How about that? God is pretty patient, but he also has a time when he says, enough's enough. And in today's lesson, the Apostle Paul continues his argument to the believers in the first century church at Corinth, giving them an example of what happens when God has had enough. Exciting? Exciting. It's exciting. Sometimes God has to say enough's enough. Yeah. And see, as believers, we don't think that. We think, oh, I I got a free pass. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) See that coming up. All right, so let's hear some music. As we run the individual race of our spiritual lives, it requires faith to press on through many bouts with tribulation. One night on a boat, the apostles experienced the tribulation of a storm. Jesus came walking across the water to calm them down, but they thought he was a ghost. Peter, the brave one, stepped up for the group. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 to 32. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you walking there on the water, command me to come to you on the water. I need a sign. An adulterous and perverted generation needs a sign. He needed a sign. Amen? Just like y'all. Matthew 14, 29. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Matthew 14, 30. But seeing the wind, Peter became frightened And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What happened? He took his eyes off Jesus. 
That's what happens to us. As soon as we take our eyes off Jesus, we start freaking. Matthew 14, 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? It reminds me of the movie Shaft, right? Where, where, where one of the guys in the movie Shaft did this to him. He made this move toward and the guy flinched. And, and, and the guy's boss said, Puta, why you flinch? <laughs> That's what the Lord's saying to Peter here. Puta, why you flinch? Matthew 14, 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. Well, Micah Tyler tells us in song that no matter the tribulation, the Lord is with us even then. On the nights when the dark lasts a little bit longer when the wind and the storm is a little bit stronger When the fear in my heart digs a little bit deeper When my faith to stand gets a little bit weaker Where could I run to? Where could I go? Even when it feels like my
We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for loving us unconditionally and for loving us so much that you sent your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, to save us. Thank you for allowing him to reconcile our relationship with you through dying on a cross and shedding his blood for the payment of sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead three days after his crucifixion to prove that he is God. Thank you for allowing him to show himself to the people who believed in him for 50 days after his resurrection from the dead. And thank you for seating him at your right hand at Pentecost until the day when his enemies will become a footstool for his feet. Give us the courage to spread the word concerning your son at every opportunity. Help us to encourage others to believe in him. Give us the strength both as a ministry and individually to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and to proclaim it as your power used for salvation for all who believe. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord has zero patience with idolatry. The Lord has zero patience with idolatry. Now, I'll I'll have to give you some background before we get into fully into chapter 10. So we'll finish the first part of chapter 10 next week. But I'm going to get you set up for it in this lesson. God is the perfect instructor. The perfect instructor is gives us the questions that will be on the test, gives us the answers to the test, and then gives us the test. Said another way, he teaches us this way. Here's what to do. Here's an example of it done well. Here's what not to do. And here are the consequences. That's how God teaches us. Now, I don't know how you are as a teacher, but that's the way I like teaching as well. Make it absolutely clear what the outcome is. Give them a process for the outcome. A lot of leaders will tell you what to do, but they won't tell you how to do it. Then give them an example. Show them, because some some learners are visual. Then tell them what not to do. Show them the opposite. And then, here are the consequences. You do this, here's the consequence. You do that, here's the consequence. Then... Turn it over to them and let them make a choice. That's the way God teaches us. That's how God likes to train us. What's man's point of view concerning how God instructs? Man will ignore the first three items in God's instruction. He'll ignore what God is asking him to do. will ignore the example. will ignore what God's telling him not to do. will do whatever they want to. And then when there is a consequence and it's negative, they paint God with the consequences paintbrush. Why is God doing this to me? Instant victim. Why is God coming down on me? I, you know, I guess it wasn't God's will. I guess it wasn't meant to be. God. You know, one of the, and then, of course, the next thing is, I'm mad at God. And God cares how much that you're mad at him. <laughs> oh, you're mad at me. Wow. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing. Now, this is the serious part. I've always wondered what I would be like as a parent if one of my kids died. And not so much now. 
you know, they're adults now. Who cares, right? Yeah, it's like, die. If you can let, <laughs> if you can let me know, like two months before, I'll insure you, so I can make some money on it. Just let me know, because it's cheap for young people. It's cheap. Insurance is cheap. I get a million on them. Two million. Yeah. <laughs> so not so much as adults, but. You know, can you imagine being a parent and losing a kid when you're raising the kid? That's that there. There's I don't know how you recover from that. But as a Christian, I understand that God gave me the kid. And God can take the kid away. You know what I want to believe when they come is that they're mine. They're not mine. They're they're mine for a short time. I didn't make them. I don't control their life. I don't control the fact that they're here. So what did Job say in the last couple of weeks? God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So I was just preparing my mind all the time. And you especially have to do that when you have kids because kids are crazy. You know, they, they are on a mission for 21 years to kill themselves. And the parent's job is just to keep them from doing it. But imagine people who have had that had to deal with the death of a child. There are only two ways to think about that. One way to think about it is, I'm mad at God. Another, and that God is doing something terrible to me. The other way to think about it is, God didn't have to give me that kid in the first place. So I had 12 years. That's a great 12 years. What a fantastic thing that God considered me important enough to give me that kid for 12 years. Those are the two ways you look at it. Well, 95% of people are going to look at it the first way. I'm mad at God. He jobbed me. I'm a victim. And there are a lot of people who, when that happens, they never recover from it. They hold on to it forever, and they let it separate them from God. And And I have had friends who had parents die and did the same thing. They just let it... If God is so wonderful, how could he take my mom? Well, all of, he takes all of us. Now, uh, not, not trying to make little of grief. Grief is horrible. I've lost both of my parents. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just lost my last uncle, and I had an 18-kid family, and none of them are here anymore. So I've experienced a lot of grief in my life. When my cousin called me to tell me that my Uncle Callie was gone, I said, well, now the spotlight has shifted to us, man. And one day I know I'm going to get the call and hear your vegetable-eating butt is gone. And I just want you to know, just be in the party when I come up to heaven. He said, no, there's no way that I'm going to die before you. You're, you're ancient. And so we go into that fight, right? Well... Now, all of us go. But like every childish friend we've ever had in any situation of conflict, most people will ignore the evidence of the things that you have done well in a situation and will overfocus on anything that you have done that they don't like. That's what the Jews did that we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you don't believe that that actually happens to people, ask Donald Trump. There is nobody that I ever hear that is saying that that guy has done one good thing in the last four years. When he's done more 
than the last five presidents combined. But it's never going to be on TV, and it's never going to be coming out of anybody's mouth because he is the most vilified president in the history of the presidency and successfully vilified by every media source. It's unbelievable that he's even still there because me, I, you start criticizing me to the intensity you criticize him, I'm saying, you know what? This was really good. Thanks for electing me. I'm out. Thanks for the $400,000 a year for the rest of eternity and the Secret Service force in the limo. I'm out. And my picture's still going to be on the thing. Because all he's got to do is resign. And he gets four hundred grand a year for life. The guy didn't even take a salary. Nobody says ever says anything about that. He's never taken his salary. Nobody says anything about that. And understand something. I'm not talking politically here. I'm talking about just treatment of people. So the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And we're opening the study of chapter 10. But what have we learned so far? The Apostle Paul is answering a question posed by Chloe's people. Can't we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Because the believers in the first Corinthian church were pagans. They worshipped idols. And then they became Christians when Paul came to the area. Corinth is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It's where everybody went to do all the things that people ought not be doing. And, and I don't mean it like you're hearing it. I don't mean it like, oh, they were doing naughty. No, these people were having orgies in the street. You wouldn't even believe if I explained it to you what they were doing. It was the most pederasty, regular. Molesting kids, regular. People actually went there to do that. It was abominable stuff. And so Paul is... You know, now, since they're doing all that stuff, now they want to eat idol meat. Well, can't we, can we just go back and do what we were doing before and worship our pagan gods and eat idol meat? Now, maybe you're wondering why we're spending so much time on this. I think we spent six or seven lessons on it. Because you don't worship idols. You probably don't have a temple in your house. You probably don't have incense in your house. And marijuana does not count as incense, Okay. Oh, but it's medicinal. Yeah, okay. But after, you know, so why are we spending time talking about this? Well, because idols for us are different things, but we have them. Maybe you think you aren't tempted by idols, or maybe you think you aren't tempted by idolatry, but you've never questioned why you have a barbecue on the 4th of July. Or on Labor Day, that's tomorrow. Did you ever think about where that tradition came from? It came from the worship of idols. People would get together, make food together, have a big party together, and then they would sacrifice the meat to idols. That's where that whole celebration came from. Okay, as time evolved, we took the idol stuff out. June is bummed because June has been to more barbecues than anybody here in uh, Barah Ministries. Amen? And she had no idea that she was engaging in idolatry, going to a barbecue. Amen? 
What did you think they meant when they started doing all that mumbling that they were doing, June? <laughs> well, the idea we're studying is idolatry. Well, what is an idol? An idol is a figment of our mental imagination, often something that doesn't exist, but it's thought to bring some benefit. Lifeless things to which we give power and to which we extend devotion, always with a demon behind them. People go up to Sedona. We live here in Phoenix, Arizona. People go up two and a half hours to Sedona because there is a vortex where negative ions come and they take crystals and they hold the crystals under the negative ion vortex and they bring them home and in their home they're getting energy from the vortex, from the crystals. You ain't getting nothing from them crystals except something to dust. Amen? But there are people who are doing this today. So please don't think that when we talk about idols, that people don't have them, they still do. What is idolatry? It's the result of a mind led astray from the simplicity and purity of exclusive devotion to Christ. The practice of giving homage to, of offering devotion to, and worshiping false, lifeless gods, while simultaneously rejecting the living God, making a god out of something that is not a god. All right, so... When you start looking at the real definition of idols and idolatry, we do this today. Video games are idols for kids, and they engage in idolatry, and they'll spend eight hours doing that and no hours getting any instruction in the Lord, the thing that can help them, if they happen to close their eyes in this life, go to heaven. And their parents say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to parent is what you're going to do. So all of a sudden, when you look at what's really being taught about idolatry, it applies to you very well. What are the idols you worship? What are the things that you use to take your eyes off God? Well, Paul is offering God's method of instruction to the Corinthian believers. First, here's what to do. And remember in chapter 8, this was the summary. 1 Corinthians 8.13, Therefore, if food that is, eating idol meat, causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I will never eat idol meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That was the idea that those of us who are spiritually mature have to forego our freedoms at times. And we may be free to eat idol meat because we know it's nothing. But if it causes these pagan believers who had just become believers who want to go back to paganism to stumble, then we don't do it. Second, Paul says, here's an example of it done well. And Paul gives a personal example of foregoing his freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I, Paul, have not taken advantage of any of my rights to receive financial support. Nor do I write to receive financial support now, for it would be better for me to die than to take anything from you. No man will make my boast of doing this gospel-spreading ministry willingly an empty one. So Paul has the right to have a wife. He has the right to get paid for spreading the gospel, and he forgoes the freedom that he has to do that so that he doesn't in any way hinder people from believing 
in Christ. Because a lot of people say, well, you're just, in it to be a, you're just being a pastor for the money. First of all, let me get you clear on something. Anybody who becomes a pastor is insane. You have got to be out of your mind to take this job. The pressures of this job are so intense that it makes what Donald Trump is going through look like kindergarten school. And I don't care how big the church is or how small the church is. This is the worst job you could have in this life. The worst. Nobody would take this who was in their right mind, and especially not for money. Because there's not enough money on the planet to pay you to take the abuse that you have to take in this job. And I've had two decades and a year of that abuse. Yeah, I was whining a little bit. I got to admit that. <laughs> Paul tells us that each of us believers in Christ is... <laughs> that was funny. Paul tells us that each of us as believers in Christ is running an individual spiritual race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Paul suggests that we run our individual spiritual lives in a way to win. God wants us to win. And in the next part of the passage, Paul tells us what not to do. And he, God's third step in instruction, and he's going to use the Jews who were released from captivity in Israel or, or in Egypt as an example. So I'm going to read the passage, and then today we'll get into a couple of verses of it. All right, so here is the passage, 1 Corinthians 10.1. I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware, brethren, brethren as believers in Christ, that our fathers, and that is the Jewish fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. The cloud was the Lord following them across the wilderness in a cloud and a pillar of fire. The sea was the Red Sea, which God parted for them. 1 Corinthians 10.2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I can't tell from this passage whether these people were believers in Christ or not, but I believe they were because I know that Moses was a believer in Jehovah Elohim, and I'm guessing that the people that were following him were too. So I think there's things in this chapter that suggest that these are believers in Christ. That's what's going on in my mind. 1 Corinthians 10.3. All ate the same spiritual food. That was manna, food that fell out of the sky onto the ground so that they could eat it. It would be the perfect thing to eat. See, and, and it's funny because manna had everything nutritious that your body would ever need because it was supernatural food. If manna fell in June's house, she would still be eating those barbecue ribs and, and licking the barbecue sauce off her hands. Amen? And he said, well, June, the manna's falling in your house, June. The manna is good. And she said, well, I don't really like it. I said, why is that? Because it doesn't have barbecue sauce on it. Well, put some barbecue sauce. <laughs> put some barbecue sauce on it, June. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. All drank the same spiritual drink. 
for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. They were out in the desert. There was no water, but God provided them with a rock that was springing forth water. And the analogy was the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.5 Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. He was not happy with this, folks. And they were laid low in the wilderness. All but two of them died in the wilderness. That's pretty severe. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us. They are a cautionary tale. So that we would not have the cravings of evil things that they craved. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. Do not be idolaters, command, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. They were at a party. They thought they were at a party. And at the party, they had their idol to worship. 1 Corinthians 10.8 Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. Orgies. And 23,000 of them fell in one day. 23,000 of them died in one day. 1 Corinthians 10.9 Nor let us try the Lord. Don't, don't tug on Superman's cape. Don't spit into the wind, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by fiery serpents. 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, Nor grumble, as some of them did, the Mary Ba incident. They were whiners, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. 1 Corinthians 10.11, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's why uh, uh, Caleb asked a question. He said, well, if the New Testament is the instruction set for us, why do we have the Old Testament? Here's the answer. The answer is because there's a lot for us to learn from the Old Testament believers. Everything that we learn about them from the Old Testament is an example to us so that that acts as a cautionary tale. Don't do what they did, because what they did got them this. That's why. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed so he does not fall. You remember early on we said that the Corinthians were these very smart people, very knowledgeable. They thought they knew everything. And so what, what does that mean? They were arrogant. And here Paul is warning them, if you think you stand, if you think you're all that, take heed so that you don't fall. Because people who are arrogant think that they are self-sufficient and they don't have to listen to God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 But remember this, no temptation has overtaken you but the human kind, the kind that is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you believers in Christ to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you will be able to endure it. Whenever you're in a jam, God always provides the back door. We're in a jam right now, aren't we? There are a lot of people in the world, in the United States right now, who cannot work. There are a lot of people in the United States who have to stay in their home. When we go out, we have to breathe our own carbon dioxide. 
right? There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of our liberties are being taken away. We're, being, we're going to be taxed at a rate that's absolutely obscene. People are talking about, oh, you know, the Denmark model would be a great model for the United States. They have free schooling and they have free health care. Yeah, and 70% taxes. Seven of every $10 they make goes to the government. Yeah, coming soon to a theater near you, people. Frogs in cold water, and the heat's been turned up, and you're not even noticing that the heat has been turned up. And all all of a sudden, all your savings are going to get turned off. Boom. Stock market's going to go. All your savings go. 401k out. Oh, we're running out of coins. There's a coin shortage. Ah, you know what? Let's forget the coins. Let's forget the currency. Let's just have everything be on a card. Tracking. Coming soon to a theater near you. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so convenient. I can do everything on my phone. Yeah, and there are people recording everything that's going on, every single activity on your phone, and it's in servers so that they can inspect it. Yeah, welcome to the real world, the new world order. Well, God has zero patience with idolatry, and there are consequences for idolatry. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll see that God isn't always happy with the way we approach things. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me? It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Save my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord has zero patience with idolatry. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once said, you can have everything in life that you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. I have found that to be true. Being selfless is so edifying. It helps us get our minds off our own problems and it helps people we don't even know that we're helping. Let your giving be generous, knowing that what you give to Barah Ministries is being passed on to others so that they can hear the gospel message free of charge. Thanks for your help. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall. I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real believers come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And <clears throat> lately I've been feeling overworked, been putting in a lot of hours. Like last week I think I had 60 hours on Friday. This week I didn't do nearly as much, but I've just been piling on. I feel like I can't say no to extra work and just want to stack it up while I can. And I'm thinking, man, I just, I'm feeling pressured, feeling pressured, and I'm getting angry and short-tempered with people and the wife and the kids, and then I'm just realizing... Why am I doing this? This is my own fault. I'm not overworked because of the world. I'm overworked because I forget that I'm yoked to God and not the world. So any work that's piled on me is also yoked and piled on God. 
not just me, but the worldly view is it's all my power. I have to do everything. And we forget real quick that as Christians, we, we don't have to worry about that. We're yoked with God. And I think it's part of the reason is idols. We get easily distracted. We get you know, our phone. Oh, I'm back home. Okay, cool. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you feel this sense of home. But that's not, that's not peace or calm or anything that helps you when you have family that's hurting or you have family in the hospital or you get in a traffic accident. Facebook isn't going to go, oh, how you doing? Let me like this crash. You know, that stuff's not going to help you. And you, you see it. So I'm, I'm just at being overworked and thinking, you know, I was thinking, like, who should I think about in the Bible? And I, I thought of Solomon. He's one of those people that's in the Bible. He's been there and done that. He's one of the richest men, one of the, say, he's the smartest man in the Bible, the most wise, because he basically had enough money to buy everything and see that money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't help you feel better in those situations. And so <clears throat> his whole thing was, as I, as I read through this, I was thinking, you know, money, we can't take it with us. None of the money we can take with us. The idols we can't take with us. Nothing that in this life that we focus on can come with us. Like Job, we're, we come into this world naked and we leave naked. And so in Ecclesiastes, it references Job in the same way. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15. <clears throat> as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hands. So why do we worry so much about working so hard? If not, we can't take any of this with us. Why do we worry about having these big houses we, that you see around you know, in the city? We, we work in very large homes, custom homes, and we're up in Paradise Valley, Scottsdale, um, Fountain Hills. We were just up in Troon North yesterday, up by Silverleaf, and these huge, huge houses. And they're vacant. They're empty. They're second homes. Nobody's in them. All these very wealthy people have three and four homes, and they're just sitting there empty. They have these status symbols. But what does that help when something goes wrong? Big old house. That doesn't help. It doesn't help you help your family. It's just these possessions. And so I've been really thinking about we, we We take nothing with us. So why do we fixate on working so hard? So I've kind of relaxed in that, knowing that not only am I yoked with God and the work I have to do, and that he can just keep piling on, and he's piling on himself. So I'm not worried about it. And, you know, it's really easy to think that the idols will help or that money will help, but none of that's going with us. So let's store up in heaven what really goes with us, knowledge of Christ, truth. And when we give it the offering, we do worship, that's basically like a savings account in heaven because you're showing God that with your time, your talent, and your treasure that you love him and that you, you, you understand that he is God and that everything we get comes from God. So why not give back to him? If we can't take our money with, let's just give it to Baran Ministries, right? It's a good plan. Um, and so I was thinking along those lines, you know, we can't take our muscles with us either, so why should we work out? That's, that's like kind of freeing, right? That's, let's free us with that. Like, I don't need to do push-ups anymore. Let's just take, I can't take that with, so let's just slim it down and just, just have fun with it. But the um, point of the story is, you know, we can't take anything with us, and nothing in this life is worth losing sleep over or feeling pressure about because God is right there with us as Christians. And that's why we do the offering is so that more people can have Christ with them during these hard times. And so thank you for always giving the offering and supporting our pastor and supporting this ministry which supports Jesus Christ. So thank you.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord has zero patience with idolatry. The Lord has zero patience with idolatry. Great offering message, Deacon Denny. I just have to take exception with one thing. I don't recommend the muscle thing. If you got two kids that are, you know, about 100 pounds each, and you got to lift them all the time, I think you ought to keep your muscles. I really do. All right, so in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul continues telling the Corinthians how to think about idol meat. They're thinking, can't we just eat idol meat? And what, you know what they're really saying? Can't we go back to the sewer? You know, when we were pagans, we were worshiping idols, and we were eating idol meat, and we were in the sewer, and we were on the track to go to the lake of fire. Can't we just take this believer stuff, you know, now that we're going to heaven? Can't we just go back and enjoy some of the stuff we enjoyed before? Can't we just have barbecue sauce on our manna? Amen. <laughs> and God doesn't want you going back to the sewer. He doesn't. So what Paul wants from the Corinthian believers is he wants them to consider weaker brothers. He wants them to notice the effect they have on others who have just come into the faith. He wants them to suspend their freedom. He gives them an example of self-restraint being handled well, which is his own foregoing of freedom to have a wife and to be paid. Paul passes on his freedoms for the sake of focusing on the dissemination of the gospel. Next, Paul introduces God's attitude toward those who reject instruction. And Paul is drawing parallels between the Corinthian believers and the Jews in the wilderness after their release from Egypt. Now, as a bit of background, when God is described as a jealous God, we know that jealousy is a sin. So God is not jealous because that would be a sin. So what is that? It's called an anthropopathism. It's an anthropopathism. It's crediting God with feelings he does not have for the sake of human understanding. You as a human being understand what jealousy is. And so, you know, like the, the person, the, the married person who's in a relationship and their spouse has an extramarital affair. They cheated on me. Jealousy. I don't like that, right? So you understand that emotion. God doesn't have that emotion, but towards you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're his possession, and he doesn't like anyone messing with his possessions, and he doesn't like his possessions looking over the fence and considering the grass to be greener on the other side. The Lord likes believers who have faith in him. God doesn't want to share his believers with idols, and he has no problem taking his believers away from such negative influence. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 say this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, Laodicean believers, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Here's what he's saying. He's like, look, believe in me or believe in Satan. That's it. But don't believe in me and have your foot over in Satan's camp. That's lukewarm. And you do that, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. 
So now, all of a sudden, when we start thinking in the context of our individual race as Christians, we should know that at a point when you keep doing the lukewarm stuff, being a believer but dipping your foot over in the Satan pool, God has the, the right and, in fact, the tendency to take you out just to keep you from hurting yourself. It's very much like what a shepherd does. There are some sheep who keep running and getting into trouble. So what the shepherd will do is break the sheep's leg. It's called casting a sheep. He'll break the sheep's leg so they aren't mobile, so they can't go off hurting themselves, because a lot of them would end up going into a bush and then falling off a cliff. So rather than having them kill themselves, the shepherd will break their legs so they're not mobile, so that they'll stay in one place. Now, that's, that's not good for the shepherd because he ends up carrying them around, but that's a whole other story. The Lord likes committed believers. He wants believers to take a stand. Me or idols? The Lord is not a fan of idol worship. So while God is not a punishing God, like every good parent, he has no problem disciplining his own. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 say this, My son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. And that's what we typically do. We keep sticking our hand in the cookie jar, and then when we get caught, we fall apart. Right? Hebrews 12, 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he also disciplines, and he scourges with a whip every son he calls to himself. Uh, there, there is a, a verse in the Bible that says that, that the parent who withholds discipline from their kids, hates the kid. Now, if he gives that instruction to us, imagine, do you think he's not going to be the parent who disciplines us? He absolutely does. And it's funny about people. See, people, when they hear the messages of truth, you know, the, the people are just bored with truth today. Oh, yeah, I I get it, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Generally speaking, that stuff you're saying is probably true. But it doesn't affect me. And I remember I had a flat tire one time. So I changed the tire, and, you know, in the the trunk there's that little tire. You know, you guys have ever seen that? So I put the little tire on. And, you know, when I go to put the big tire back in the car, there's this piece of paper under the little tire, and I look at it and it says, Please do not drive over 55 miles an hour with the little tire on. I said, okay, well, I, I, I get that. You know, generally, <laughs> generally speaking, I get that. So I get out there. I cannot wait to drive over 55 miles an hour with the, with the, with the wheel. So I get it up to 80. And there's no problem. There's no problem. Until you have to stop. (laughs) The little tire does not have enough surface area to stop. And so I couldn't stop the car. Why didn't they put that on there? Because, dummy, I know you're going to not listen to this. You won't be able to stop. See? Because at 55 miles an hour, you can make a safe stop. 55 or below. But over 55, you can't make a safe stop. So I'm 80, and I have to stop quickly, and the car is fishtailing, and I'm thinking I'm going to crash into the other car because I can't get the car to stop. I had to use the, the foot brake. See? And that's, that's what human beings are like. When they hear the truth of the Word of God, 
you know, they get this little bitty dose of it. They're in the world 168 hours a week. They come and get a little two-hour dose of this, and they go, yeah, yeah that, that was good. It was really good. It's good. But the world is telling them something else. But what the world isn't telling them is that the part after the 55-mile-an-hour part, that you're going to kill yourself. Yeah, you're going to ignore having a relationship with God, and then you're going to die, and then you're going to be in the lake of fire for all eternity because you didn't make a nine-word decision. Nobody's telling you that, and if they tell you that, what are you going to say? Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Well, how can you be sure? Well, I don't know if it's true or not, but see, the the cool thing is every one of us is going to know at a point. I didn't want to know that the car couldn't stop when I was doing 80 miles an hour. I wanted to know before that. I should have heeded the warning. But no, yeah, just generally speaking now, that's what we do as human beings. Well, what is discipline? The Lord disciplines his own. What is discipline? It's training in a character pattern. It's training in a character pattern. When we discipline our kids, what are we telling them? I don't want you acting like that. My kids were loud. We'd be on a plane and they'd be loud. I said, boys, are you using your inside voices or your outside voices? Outside voices. Are we outside? No. What voices should you be using? Inside voices. Thank you. Appreciate it. Or you will die. You know, I didn't leave off the consequence. <laughs> and you hear him laughing. You hear him laughing. Yeah, you hear him laughing because I'm not lying. You know, I, I played basketball. My coaches, if we did something stupid, they would make us run suicides. Where you get on the baseline, you run and touch the free throw line, you come back, you go to the center court, you come back, you go to the free throw line on the other end, you come back, you go all the way to the other baseline. And they'd make, them, make us run suicides forever. Well, it was, yeah, June's got this look on her face like, why would he do that? It's training in a character pattern. If you're late, you're running suicides. If you fumble the ball out of bounds, you're running suicides. That's why. But here was the benefit. Not only was it a training in a character pattern, don't make mistakes, but it was also conditioning us so that when the fourth quarter came around, we were in better condition than uh, the team we were playing. So great parents discipline. All right. The Lord doesn't like it when we mix legitimate spiritual practices like studying the Bible, things that worship him, with illegitimate spiritual practices like mysticism. What's mysticism? Tarot cards, readings, going to psychics, horoscopes. Oh, have I told you I'm an Aries? <laughs> My mom was so into horoscopes, it drove me absolutely crazy. Sidney Omar, every day in the newspaper. That was what she was like, get your head in the Bible, woman. What's Sidney Omar know that God doesn't know? Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. I mean, she had every horoscope book in the world in the house. It was just unbelievable. And God doesn't like that. God is not accessed through the intellect. He's accessed through faith. 
And what is he judging believers on? Your faith. Do you have any confidence in him? Now, here's the funny thing. He saved you and you did nothing for it. All you did was place your faith in him that what he said is true. If you believe in me, you're saved. You did that. And then you get in your life and now you want to take over. You get in your life and now you want to go back to your former manner of life. That's what the Jews were doing. All right. So God is not interested at all in sharing you with demons who are out to destroy you. Chapter 10 is the strongest part of Paul's arguments against partaking of idle meat. Let's look at the passage verse by verse. 1 Corinthians 10.1 I, Paul, do not want you to be unaware, my Corinthian brethren, my Corinthian believers in Christ, that our Jewish ancestors from the 12 tribes of Israel were all under the cloud of God's protection and all of them passed through the Red Sea. The Lord delivered the Jews from slavery to their Egyptian captors. After letting the Jews go, their Egyptian captors changed their minds. Now, the Jews were in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. They were in slavery for 400 years. And there's an amazing teaching analogy that is easy to miss here. And that's why I wanted to give you this background before we go into the verse by verse too deeply. So the Jews started out in slavery to the Egyptians just as we believers in Christ start out our lives in a slavery condition called in Adam. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead. We are in a condition of total helplessness. When you are a slave, you are in a condition of total helplessness. And that's what the Jews were. They were 400 years in Egypt. They were under the Egyptians' thumbs. They had to do what the Egyptians wanted done. They had no ability to say what they could and couldn't do. They just had, they had three hots and a cot. They had a place to sleep. They had meals. And they had to lift really big stones around to build really big, beautiful things like pyramids. They, and and we were, while we were in slavery, we were condemned to the lake of fire. And we can't save ourselves. That's the condition we were born in. All of us at birth are headed for the lake of fire. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are completely helpless. Now, when the Lord convinced the Egyptians to release the Jews from captivity, and it took 10 different things to convince them, the Jews headed for Israel, led by Moses. And initially, the Jews were very happy to be free, just like the black people were when when uh, Abraham Lincoln said, you guys are free. They all went, woo! (laughs) And then two seconds later, it all hit them. Wait a minute, where am I going to get a job? Just like it hit the Russians when democracy came to Russia. Who's going to give me my vodka and cheese? Every week. Slaves always eventually want to go back to slavery. So, it was similar to being happy to be saved. We realize that we're no longer under condemnation. We're going to heaven. We have a God. But the enemy, the Egyptians, changed their mind and came after the Jews to bring them back. So all these Jews were marching toward the Red Sea. And, And I think it was about two million of them marching to the Red Sea 
thinking that they were free. And then here come the Egyptians from behind. The whole army and the Pharaoh coming from behind. So now they're in a trap. The Red Sea's up front and their captors are in back and their freedom is in jeopardy. So, very much like when we were in the slavery of being in Adam, we stood and realized that we can't save ourselves. So the Red Sea is analogous to salvation. The Jews were trapped. There was no way for them to get out of the predicament on their own. But the Lord parted the Red Sea, and the Jews walked right across the Red Sea, the seabed, right across the seabed to the other side, across the dry land. And when the Egyptians followed them into the Red Sea, the Lord said, water, go back, whoop, drowned them all. And they're still finding chariot pieces in the Red Sea today, still finding remnants of that Egyptian army being completely obliterated. So the Jews were saved. Now, if you're, if you're smart, you make the assessment. I was in slavery, and then by a supernatural act, I was saved. What did the Jews do? In, in, in a completely hopeless situation, the Lord delivered. But what did the Jews do? Now they're in the wilderness. They've got to go across the desert to get to Israel. And what did they do? They started whining. Somebody who supernaturally saved you, now that you're in the wilderness, you're whining. Well, where's our water? So the Jews now in the wilderness is analogous to our time on earth. After we're saved, it's a time of the testing of our faith, of our own personal, individual wilderness journey, our race, as Paul says it, the critical part of our spiritual upbringing. And so stop hoping for the rapture. You know, a lot of believers right now are whining about the loss of freedom, and they're saying, I just hope the Lord comes and gets us. I just hope the Lord comes and gets us. He's not coming. He'll come when he's ready. But he equipped us for this. He equipped us to live in slavery because we've been living in slavery all our lives right here in Satan's kingdom. He equipped us for this. But the Jews forgot about their deliverance from slavery. They forgot about the parting of the Red Sea. They ignored the evidence of what God had done to save them and started complaining about wanting to go back to Egypt to slavery. They actually liked the food that they were getting in Egypt. And I got to admit, I've been to Egypt. They can, they can burn. The food good. But it's not freedom. Well, after the wilderness, wilderness journey, the Jews would be in their very own land. The land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and J Jacob. Israel. Analogous to eternity. It is the promised land. It's the place that is exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. So you see the, the steps from slavery to salvation to the wilderness to heaven. That's our life. It's easy to miss that analogy when you look at this. So, 1 Corinthians 10.1. I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware, my Corinthian brethren, that our Jewish ancestors were all under the cloud of protection. That's the thing you ought to be thinking about all the time. Right now, there's a cloud over you believers. You're under a cloud of protection in the day and a fire of protection at night. What did, what did uh, Satan say about Job? 
Oh, yeah. Why does he worship you? You've got a, a hedge around him, a pillar of fire around Job. There's a pillar of fire around us as believers in Christ. We are so protected and we can't see it. So we go, uh, I don't know. Do you smell something burning? Yeah, it's you. You're burning. You're on fire because God's got you protected. Amen? So I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware, my Corinthian brethren, that our Jewish ancestors were all under the cloud of protection and they all passed through the Red Sea. 1 Corinthians 10.2 And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, manna, which is a reference to unity as well as the food. 1 Corinthians 10.4, all drank the same spiritual drink in unity, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, the one struck by Moses' rod that was following them. And then the real rock was the rock of their protection, Christ. Spiritual here means supernatural. Food and drink. Supernatural food and drink delivered by the power of God would rain from the sky every day. The water would come whenever they needed it. They were completely cared for because a fortiori argument. If the stronger thing is true, the lesser thing is true. Generally speaking, if God does the stronger thing by parting a complete sea to let you get away from your enemy, then he can take care of the little things, your food and drink. If God sent his son, God the Father sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you wouldn't have to and to pay for every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, so that you could be in a relationship with him, generally speaking, he can take care of your rent. Amen? Or your mortgage, for those of you who are a little more financially astute. Amen? (laughs) So... The Jews should have seen this gift from heaven as evidence of God's provision, the same provision he made when he parted the Red Sea, but they didn't because they were whiners, disobedient whiners. Are you aware that God always provides? Are you? I didn't hear you. Okay. Do your idols provide? No, they don't pay your rent. All they do is steal your time. The thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. As our rock, our God is solid and stable stable and dependable, just like a rock. He's always there in his omnipresent splendor, as an ever-present help in time of trouble. So should it be easy for us to see why he has a zero-tolerance policy toward a split focus with idolatry? He doesn't want you looking at anybody else. He doesn't want you admiring anybody else. I'm a man, I got a woman. I don't want you looking at my woman. You might get cut right here in that little fatty part. I'm not going to kill you, but it's going to hurt like hell. Amen? Be looking at stuff that's mine. Wrong with you. (laughs) You know those little things? uh, They have these little things on Facebook, these name tests and all these things where you 
you press a button and it tells about you. You know, it's another one of those little idolatry things, right? Like, uh, press this button and I'll tell you what song applies to you. And then it'll explain. Every one of those things, I'll do it every once in a while just for laugh. Every one of those things says the exact same thing about me. Rory's a pretty big-hearted guy, and he'll give you a lot of leeway. But if you hurt anything that's important to him, you better find a place to hide. So see, you guys, my people in Barah Ministries, if anybody bothers you, they have to die. That's my philosophy. If you come in my house and mess with my flock, you are going to die. And there are a lot of people who have been in Barah Ministries in the past who found out real quick that this is the one thing in my life that you cannot play with or you will get hurt. God has the same philosophy. I think I got it from him. So God's not big on sharing his people with idols. Next week, as we continue our study of this part of the passage, now that you have the background, we'll see verse by verse what the consequences are of idolatry, and we'll also celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, the closing moments of our study are the most important part of our study because there is a message here and we want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. You came here and you may be here for 80 years or 100 years, but there's only one decision that affects everything. And that's this decision that you get a chance to make right this minute. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of the people who've already made the decision. Believers in Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set him apart as your God. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. The absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ. And give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. That's bad news for you, because sinners need a Savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life, as outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. We want you to know that God wants you. But I've got bad news for you. The bad news is that all of us are born in a state of unrighteousness. We are born, that's what it means to be a sinner. It doesn't mean that you sin. It means that you are born in a state of unrighteousness. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. That is not our fault, but it is our circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. 
the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what Christians call the gospel message. And that's what this is, the gospel message. So let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas, yeah, I would figure that during the gospel message we get interference, huh? Acts 16.25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Acts 16:27. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he Yeah, let's do it back. Are we on the air? All right, cool. All right, so we'll go back to Acts chapter 16, verse 27. When the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. There was an earthquake in the prison, and the jailer thought that the prisoners had escaped and he was about to kill himself because if you were a prison guard and you let anyone escape, you were executed. Acts 16, 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying to the guard, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? One of the greatest questions in the history of mankind. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The guard had obviously been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing, and he was wondering about it. What must I do to be saved? Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believe. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It's simply faith expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone at a single moment in time that is the ticket to eternal life. Acts 16.32 And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news to the jailer, together with all the people who were in his house. Acts 16.33 And then the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds from the earthquake. And immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit. And he and his, all his household who also believed. And they all did. Acts 16.34 And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house. And set food before them and rejoiced greatly. 
having believed in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his whole household. How did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis. He recognized he needed a savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message, and the jailer did what was suggested. Don't wait for a crisis to be saved. You want to ask anybody about that, ask Denise. Because she's always with people every week who are in the last minutes that they're here on earth. And lucky for those people, she's around to ask them about the Lord. And she gets an opportunity to tell a lot of people about the Lord in the last moments of their life. Ask her what that's like. Don't wait for the crisis. Do it now. Now, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, proving that he is God according to the Scriptures. It's bad news if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. The wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of men, unbelievers, who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Can you switch the frequency? Hear me? Check, check. You got it in your earphone? Check, check. All right. Romans 119, because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of unbelievers. For God the Father made it evident to them from the inside of them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, and God's divine nature, his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind. Don't ever believe it that, well, what about the people who didn't hear about God? Everybody hears about God. The real issue is, do they pay attention? Being understood even through what has been made, being understood, God is understood even in nature, God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God. God makes himself clearly visible to human beings in ways that make sense to human beings both from the inside of them and from the outside of them. 
Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jailer guard in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. It's instantaneous. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news now. Tell God the Father that you believe in Christ and you are saved. All right, we close with music. Our God was merciful to Israel just like he is merciful with us. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord says, I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In her amazing song, June Murphy says of our Lord, He remembers to forget. kept from heaven because of their sins salvation's door is open whosoever can enter in Christ died for the whole world all you need is to believe God wants none to perish Your sins aren't a memory. He remembers to forget. He has never failed us yet. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are cast from us. And yes, he remembers, he remembers. He remembers to forget. God is ever faithful. Our God cannot lie. When stumbling into sinfulness, we Restoration is provided, and we can boldly say, He remembers to forget, He has never failed us yet, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are cast from us, and Ben.
Because you're standing up. <laughs> you know how, how amazing that makes us all feel? To see you standing up after you, what you've been going through in the last year? This gets us right in the heart. So happy for you. Diagram works a little better when you're standing up, too. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> That's awesome. Let's close with praise to our Lord. Ephesians 1 3, worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, a place of permanence through our union with Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In Jesus, we have redemption, deliverance from slavery to sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20, now to the God and Father who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power, the omnipotence that works within us. To him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ Jesus and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we're just so grateful to get to witness what you've done with June. And we're looking forward to witness what you're going to do with Larry as he goes into his surgery this week. And we know that you're going to deliver him. We appreciate getting to watch what you did with Pastor John Farley, who in his last doctor's appointment uh, found out that the cancer medicine is working perfectly and that some nodules that were on his spine have completely disappeared much to the amazement of the medical community. But it doesn't amaze us at all because we know what kind of God you are. And you are a God who keeps his promises. And we're just so grateful to you for taking care of us and for giving us evidence of your existence and of your abilities to do exactly what you say you're going to do. And we just pray as we go forward this week out into the world that you give us the courage to share this good news about what it takes to be saved with everyone we come in contact with, to provide them the written backup for it so that they can come to know you before they meet you 
and so that they can worship by having a relationship with your son. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.